The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. I would like to invite you to open up to the book of Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Well, it's hard to believe, but we made it. <laughs> we made it through. Some of us, we finally made it. Some of us, we, we finally made it through. And so we're here. We got through this past week. And what a wild week it's been. You know, we, we, um, we, we talked about on Friday, Thursday and Friday this week about canceling today's service because it was supposed to rain and it was supposed to be cloudy. And we just said, you know what? The rain, the, the, the clouds have parted and the rain's not going to be here even though it's cold. We just really felt like this was going to be a morning where many of you wanted to be together. And it's so good to see you here. This is such a great crowd this morning. But what a week it's been. What a week it's been. Uh, On Tuesday, uh, the most Googled search terms on Tuesday on Google were the election, obviously, election results, Fox News, Joe Biden, and then finally, who is winning the election? We asked that for four or five days. And then on Wednesday, the top five Googled search terms were how many registered voters in Wisconsin, Democratic Party, Oregon decriminalizes drugs, and then listen to this, Walmart Black Friday. (laughs) It's good to see not even the most contested election in U.S. history can sway our material desires in the country, in the U.S. Other noteworthy searches on Wednesday, voter fraud, Dow Futures. It's hard to imagine, if I had to imagine this morning, that most of these searches were typed with fingers filled with anxiety this week. Would you agree? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to begin a series of teachings that are considered the core of his teaching ministry. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins with a question that I believe all of us are probably wanting the answer to right now. And the question is, how can I be happy Maybe you haven't verbalized that question this week. Maybe you haven't internalized it. Deep down, it's a pressing question in your life today. If you ask Google, how can I be, just type it in. You know, Google autofills our questions for us. How can I be? If you typed in, how can I be, Google will autofill the question for you today. And it will fill it with questions like, how can I become a millionaire? How can I be rich? How can I become an actor? How can I become a better person? And I like this one. How can I become a Canadian citizen? (laughs) But the first auto-filled word that Google fills in when you type in, how can I be, is happy. How can I be happy. Jesus is going to show us multiple ways here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, multiple ways to be happy. And so Jesus is going to teach here in 11 verses, he's going to use a flurry of, the, of words, of, of this one word, this word we translate blessed or blessed. He's going to say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. The original Greek word for blessed is the word makarios. Now, 
Mark, who was singing this morning, his dad's name is Makarios. I know Makarios. Makarios is the original Greek word that we translate blessed, but it literally means happy. We don't translate it happy today because the word was hijacked 2,000 years ago by Greek philosophy, and we've carried it over since then, but we use the word blessed because there's a spiritual depth to the word makarios that involves, now listen to me, more than just our outward circumstances. As a Christian, here's the thing, as a Christian, we don't just process, we don't just process our experience only by what happens to us, what's happening around us. We process what's happening around us, our outward experience, with this internal grasp of God's salvation of his favor and his blessing in our lives. And together, the outward experience and the internalization of our salvation give us the reality of this word we call blessed. So if you're a Christian today and you're happy because your candidate won, but you weren't happy last week when he had not won, you haven't incomplete understanding of happiness. Or if you're happy that your candidate was in office last week, but not happy that he's in office today, you have an incomplete understanding of happiness. And so Jesus is going to give us eight ways we can be happy. But your outward circumstances not be favorable. So I want to preach a message today titled Anchored in Blessings. Tyler created a sermon series called Anchored so I tried to stick with the theme, Anchored in Blessings, but if I could subtitle it this morning, it's really what I wanted to title this message today, How to Survive the Election and Still Be Happy. That's really the title of my message today. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn it on, turn it to, you can just read with me. Starting in verse 1, now when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is probably the most critical beatitude of all the rest of them. It's not a reference to people who are economically poor. It's not a reference to struggling actors. It's not a reference to college students this morning. It's a reference to people who are considered the lowest in society, people who are on the fringes, people who are despised, people who in and of themselves cannot sufficiently exist. And so when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, he means, listen to me, he means those who don't feel and those who do not believe that they have sufficient resources in their own power to face everything that life throws at us. Let me say it in a positive way. Being poor in spirit means we embrace the fact that we are daily dependent on God for everything we need. Most of us in America live by DJ Khaled's mantra, all I do is win, 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 right? All I do is win, win, win. My team didn't win last night. I was a little disappointed. 2017, Donald Trump was speaking at a rally in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, when he said, all we do is win, win, win. 
If you're convinced you've got all that you need apart from God, you will not receive God's righteousness and you cannot receive God's help. But if you believe you're poor in righteousness, if you believe you're the kind of person, then you're the kind of person that can receive God's righteousness. You can receive God's help. But there's a couple things that complicate our ability to be poor in spirit. The first is our pride. The fact that we are constantly comparing ourselves to people around us. I'm better than this person. I'm, I'm stronger than this person. I'm more capable than this person. The second thing that complicates our ability to be poor in spirit is our constant focus on ourselves. If you're wondering if you focus on yourself, then I would encourage you to take a look at your social media. Is it all about you? Is it about how awesome you are? The third thing that complicates our ability to be poor in spirit, now listen to me, let me be very practical about this week. The third thing that complicates our ability to be poor in spirit is our dependence on someone else for happiness and satisfaction. Does it take a political candidate, a politician winning for you to be happy and to be satisfied? If we look around us, all around us, people are finding their value and their worth this morning, their happiness in a political candidate. One of the best things I saw this week was from a, uh, from a very wise and satisfied man in our church who's watching online today. I've talked to him multiple times this week. This is what he said. You know what I'm going to do the day after the election if my candidate loses? I'm going to go to work, be happy, live my life, love others. If he wins, the same. <laughs> Have you taken time this week to consider who you're really dependent on for everything you need? The place we need to be is to be poor in ourselves and mighty in relying on God. Gideon said, I'm the smallest man from the smallest tribe. David said, who am I, God, that you should offer to build me a house and promise me all these things? Paul said, I am the chief sinner. People who are rich in God and dependent on God, have access to the power of God and are insanely happy. Look at the next way to be happy according to Jesus in verse four. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now Jesus isn't specific here about why we're mourning. And regardless of the reason that we mourn, oftentimes when we mourn, we feel powerless. We feel Weak. Sometimes we feel unrighteous. We feel sinful. Jesus says it's in this place that God promises his comfort. Now, mourning is not always an indication that something is unhealthy in your life. In John chapter 11, we see that Jesus is mourning. He's weeping because one of his friends has died. There are good reasons to mourn. Jesus is probably mourning in John chapter 11 because he cares for his friends. He's probably mourning because he knows the same thing is going to happen to him not long from now. Maybe you're mourning today for a different reason. Maybe you're mourning the election. Maybe you're mourning the state or the direction of our country. 
The vote counts are accurate. 50% of us this morning are probably in a state of mourning or we've been tempted to mourn. May I say to you this morning, sometimes mourning is an indication that your soul is longing for things that ultimately cannot satisfy. I don't mean to tell you this morning that your mourning this week is sinful. But I do want to encourage you to examine why are you mourning this week and let it cause you to be reminded that only Jesus can satisfy you. Maybe you believe today that you're mourning good and godly things or the loss of those things in our country. May I point you to an ultimate reality that if you are a Christian today, this will happen. You will experience Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from your eye and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. If you're mourning this morning, may I commend you to the hand and the heart of God and find comfort in your grief. Jesus has another description of those who are happy in verse 5. He teaches and says, Blessed are the gentle. <laughs> Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. This is quite the paradox that Jesus is teaching here. He's saying, Happy and blessed are people who are gentle, for they will receive the earth. Now think about this for a moment. This is not what history books teach us, right? History teaches us that the people who are strong, the people who are mighty, the people who have deep pockets are the ones who win wars and win elections and overtake people and land and parties. That's what football coaches tell us. The strong the faster we are, the more we assert our will, we will win. But listen to what Jesus is teaching us in this paradox. Jesus is affirming gentleness as the path to peace and the path to happiness. Meekness and gentleness means sometimes you take second place instead of first whenever you can. It means you don't leverage your power to control people means you leverage your power to serve people and not exalt yourself. Now think about this for a minute. Think about the gentleness of the King of Kings, Jesus himself. Think about the gentleness of the King of Kings who washed the feet of faithless disciples who just a few hours later would deny knowing Jesus. Jesus has a warning here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 domineering, aggressive, harshness is not the path to happiness. So what is the application this week? One pastor says it means to not easily be rattled. It means to be so calm, so filled with faith in God that even when it looks like you're losing, you know you're winning because of God. Now listen to this. It means sometimes I'm so mad I could throw a punch, but I choose to be gentle. 
means even though I'm so passionate about my political view, I choose to not type arrogantly with my fingers on an online forum. Maybe this week your party won. Maybe this week if your party won, you need to be calm and gracious and gentle in your relationship to others. You may not believe this, but there are good and godly people who voted opposite of you and they may be hurting this week. Maybe this week your party lost and you need to remember that God doesn't need your help getting even with people who you think have wronged you or maybe who you think are the enemy. You may not believe this, but there are good and godly people who voted opposite of you. And regardless of their posture, gentleness is the way forward. Gentleness is a reminder of how God treated us. Think of what God could have done to us. He could have ignored us. He could have judged us. He could have punished us. He could have condemned us. He could have never forgiven us. He could have kept reminding us of our sins. But instead, the God who could have used his power against me decided to do the opposite. He gave himself for me. In fact, the Gospels give the record of a gentle Savior who didn't resist and he offered himself instead on the cross for us. Listen to me, church. May we be the same to those around us today. Jesus gives us another way to be happy in verse 6. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I preached a sermon on this last year, so I'm going to try to be brief here, but we're all hungry for something. We all spend our lives in pursuit of something. We try to fill the voids in our life with a lot of different things, from money to marriage to pleasure to family to affirmation to association to winning If you've ever tried to fill a bucket that has a hole in the bottom of it, it's the same empty pursuit as trying to fill your soul with these things. Money, success, approval, acceptance, politics. St. Augustine said, God has made us for himself and we are restless until our souls have found rest in him. Maybe your party won this week and there's still a sense of restlessness in your life. Do you know why? Because we were created for our souls to be found in God alone and we will be restless until we are found there. Maybe your party didn't win this week and you have not been able to sleep. You've been up all night. Listen to me. God has made you for himself and you will be restless until your soul finds rest in him. Do not be fooled this week by the idol of control. That your party has control or that your party lost control. That idol is a bucket with the hole in the bottom of it and will never fill you. If you want to be happy, give your hungry heart to an infinite God because it's the only thing that will fill your hungry desires. 
Verse 7, listen to what Jesus says next. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy is not giving something. Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. Grace is giving you something you don't deserve. Mercy is not giving you something you do deserve. It implies someone has done something or someone wrong. You know, there's a lot of people over the last few months, (laughs) some that I know, some that I don't know, some that I watch on TV that I've thought, you know what, you really deserve for somebody to not be gentle with you. Just this week, I saw a famous actor vote shame another famous actor because of who he voted for. I've seen people who claim to be Christians tell their social media friends that if you voted for a certain person, you can unfollow me now. You need to grow up. You need to be ashamed of yourself. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But as a believer, we don't live in response to how somebody has or has not treated us. We live in response to what God did not give us, even though we deserved it. You understand this? Mercy requires restraint. It requires me to acknowledge that you may deserve to experience the effect of your actions, but I refuse to do that to you. And so as Christians, we live in the middle of this. We live in the middle of of having received mercy, yet at the same time, we're still going to need mercy. God's been merciful to us, but there are days ahead when we're still going to need his mercy. And the key to becoming a merciful person is to become a broken person. The power to allow mercy comes from this real experience of your heart and your soul, knowing that you owe everything to the sheer divine mercy of God. And so there's a lot of questions that we can't unroll and just One verse and a cursory glance at mercy, like where does mercy come from? What does a merciful person look like? Should we always show mercy? When do we show mercy and not justice? But let me just try to make application in the context of this week. Now listen to me. Do you have any compassion for your fellow citizen today? Can you recognize their distress and their misery Can you feel pity for their pain? Are you willing to make every effort to see the greatest good done? If you felt like you've suffered for the last four years and finally you're getting even, may I just say, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If today... You feel like you're losing something that you've had for a while. May I say, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let us show mercy to each other this week. 
Jesus has another way to be happy in verse 8. Now listen to what Jesus says here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure people keep their hearts free from things that grieve God. And what grieves God? Well, the simple answer is sin. Pure people keep their hearts free from the things that grieve God. The things that grieve God are sin. There's a lot of reasons we avoid sin. We don't want to lose a job. We don't want to lose a relationship. But the most important reason we avoid sin is because we want to know God. Now listen, it's nearly impossible to pursue God and to tolerate sin and then to expect to have intimacy with him. Now I want you to notice something in what Jesus says here. Notice this. Who sees God in this verse? Who sees God? The pure in heart see God. Here's why. Because sin affects our ability to even see God, to hear from God, to experience his intimacy. One pastor says, Purity leads to clarity. Purity leads to clarity. Just this week, one of the most famous pastors in our country was fired for cheating on his wife. God's used him in countless ways, particularly he's used him with celebrities even in our own city. But listen to his own description of what was happening in his life. This is what he said this week. He said, when you lead out of an empty place, you make choices that have real consequences. In other words, when you pursue God less and tolerate sin more, you lose your ability to see God and experience his intimacy. This is what the Bible says about purity and seeing God. From 1 John chapter 1, he says, if we, see, if we say that we have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Now listen to me. One day we will finally see Jesus in all clarity. First John 3, 2 describes this moment. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But what we know is that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him for who he is. So until the day that we're face to face with Jesus and we can finally see him for who he really is, it is a daily battle to clear the clouds and battle with sin so that we can see Jesus with all clarity, with vision and intimacy with God. Now listen, sin is not just lying. Sin is not just cheating. Sin is not just stealing. Sin is also idolatry. Now listen to me. Sin is also idolatry. What is idolatry? It's putting anything ahead of Jesus and thinking it's going to satisfy me. The more my heart is full of the idolatry of putting my ultimate trust in political parties and political saviors, the less I'm going to see what God sees, the less I'm going to value what God values, the less I'm going to love what God 
loves. The purer your heart, the greater your grasp on the will of God and the love of God. The next beatitude may be the most applicable this week. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, <laughs> for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers are very simply people who prioritize relationship over personal vindication, over conflict, and many times over simply being right. When there's conflict, and I think we can safely say there's conflict in our country today, there are almost always two sides. Both sides believe they're in the right. Neither side wants to compromise. Neither side wants to make peace. Why? Because they think, my side's going to lose something. I'm going to end up being wrong. Peacemakers are people who say, you know what? The relationship is more important than being right. I have my convictions and I want to share my convictions but I want to try to see it your way. I want to explain my view, but I'm going to try even harder to understand your view than I am to make you understand my view. And if we don't agree on everything, I can be patient because I value the relationship more than I want to be right. This is why social media is awful in an age of contested elections because we really don't have relationships with nearly anyone on our Facebook pages. And so to value the relationship is non-existent. We simply value our position and our argument and our party. Peacemakers are rare in our society. They're rare. My daughter is a peacemaker. She won the Peacemaker Award at her school last year. I'm proud of that too. I'll clap for it too. She's the peacemaker in our home. The peacemakers are rare in our society because we're so intent on everyone hearing our monologues. We're so panicked that we're not going to be heard. So panicked that our side is going to lose. Now listen, peacemakers aren't people that don't have convictions. Don't misunderstand me. Peacemakers are not people that don't have convictions. They're simply people who give people the benefit of the doubt in order to hear and to understand. Now let's put it into very proper and right perspective. <laughs> Jesus was clearly in the right, wasn't he? Jesus was clearly in the right position. We had offended Jesus. He did nothing wrong. We were clearly in the wrong. Jesus did not surrender his position. We don't hear Jesus just, just, just relegating truth and teaching about the kingdom of God and how to know. We don't hear Jesus just surrendering his position and truth. But listen to me. In other words, his compassion did not cause him to cave on his conviction. He still had convictions, but he valued us so much that he prioritized the relationship over vindication and he went to the cross in shame to win us back. May I ask you to do something this week? Rather than calling everyone to your monologue, 
Maybe seek out some people who think differently and hear them out. Now, verse 10, 11, and 12, we're going to group together and we're going to be done. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Now, pause for a moment. Do not go out this afternoon and this week and quote Jesus the first half of this verse and not quote the second half as if it's to say, you know what, they called me a deplorable, but Jesus says I'm blessed. Don't quote this verse if you think Biden supporters have insulted you and claim to be blessed. Jesus is not saying you're blessed because you supported Trump or Biden and somebody insulted you. Jesus is saying you are blessed when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, not because of Trump or Biden, but because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now there's a lot to say about these two verses and we don't have time for it this morning, including the reality that these verses are gonna be more real and more appropriate in the days ahead. But let's land here on this beatitude. Value your standing with God more than your acceptance by others. Don't compromise kingdom values over cultural values just so you can be approved. Now let me close with just a summary of a few things and then we'll be done. And I appreciate you allowing me to preach this morning. I appreciate Tyler allowing me to preach this morning. I'm gonna preach again. December the 13th will be my last Sunday here, and I'm really excited. I've already got something on my heart to preach. Thank you for allowing me to preach this morning. Let me end with a summary of a few things. First, the kingdom of Jesus Christ is a kingdom of the heart. Process this with me. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is a kingdom of the heart. It's a real kingdom, and Jesus is a real king. And life in the kingdom is primarily a spiritual life that can't always be explained by an outward circumstance. This is a kingdom that is a matter of the heart. So in response to what Jesus has done, the heart comes to grieve sin. It learns to wait humbly for the timing of the Lord to cry out in hunger for the work of God's mercy, to satisfy us with the righteousness we need. I encourage you to do some, some heart work this week and focus less on external circumstances. Secondly and finally, life in the kingdom can be hard. Life in the kingdom can be hard. So when Jesus called us to follow him, when he called us to follow him, he didn't call us to this life where there's just just unhindered wealth. The call to follow Jesus was not this call where we'd never have never failing health, 
wasn't a call where everybody would agree with us and we would always win. It wasn't a call where our political parties would always be on top. But Jesus does promise in this kingdom, you can experience blessings and happiness, but sometimes blessings and happiness are experienced in the pain of rejection and loss. Why? Because happiness is not a feeling based on external circumstances. It's an objective state. And Jesus is making an objective statement about people in the kingdom. The great theologian John Stott said this, this is what God says about them. It is to those who have nothing in themselves that God gives the kingdom of heaven, the comfort of heaven, the earth as their inheritance, the satisfaction of his provision, the mercy and vision of God, the right to be called sons, and the greatest of all rewards, a place in his kingdom. In other words, happiness is the fruit of a right relationship with God. Happiness in your circumstances will leave you disappointed this week. Being rightly related to Jesus is where you will find joy. Have you trusted Jesus today? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Taking your place on the cross? Happiness begins there. you trust in Jesus today. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you're a merciful God. That all of these beatitudes can be said about you. You are a peacemaker. They insulted you and persecuted you. You've hunger and thirsted for the Father, not for your own will. Jesus, may these things be said about us this week. God, I'm confident by the turnout here today, of the things I've read this week, there are people who are mourning and hurting. There are people who are experiencing false happiness this week. Jesus, would you call us and bring us back to your heart today, to a right standing with you as the source and the place of our happiness today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand and sing one last song together this morning.